This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Father, speak to us through your scriptures. Give us minds to welcome your word and wills determined to follow you. For Jesus' sake, amen. Please be seated. As we work our way through 1 Corinthians, we're up to the the reading that uh, Skander just uh, led us through and it's always good to have the words open in front of you. Chapter 9 on page 931. Our um, 8 o'clock service this morning we had uh, uh, two adults and a baby baptised and five adults were confirmed so uh, there is a slant on on that which uh, is very good for all of us because uh, um, we are therefore, as they are now, members of uh, the body of Christ and uh, we are, it's a good thing to be reminded about that. Because when adults uh, are baptised and confirmed, it is a great celebration for the church. And uh, as those uh, people coming, some quickly, some over many years, to a position of belief and trust in Jesus... They want to shout from the rooftops, Jesus is my Lord. Uh, one of the things that goes automatically with that is that they belong, you belong to Jesus, you belong to Jesus' body, that is the church. Every footballer has to be in a team. Every soldier has to be in an army and every Christian has to be in the church. As uh, lots of other people have said, the New Testament knows nothing at all about an individual solo Christian. To be Christian is to belong to the church. That is Jesus' plan and his expectation. So deciding to follow Jesus means deciding to be a hearty member of his church. And his church is described as, finish the statement please, one holy Catholic and apostolic. That's not a word we talk about very much. Clearly, since the church we belong to is apostolic, it is a good idea if we know what it means. St Paul explained this to one group of Christians. He said, he wrote, you are members of the household of God. That's an expression that means the church. You are members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So our church is apostolic because it's built on the foundation of the apostles. Jesus' church is apostolic. And there may be other reasons, but I'm going to talk about three of them that pop up in chapter 9 of its first letter to the Corinthians. The church is apostolic because Jesus picked the apostles. Secondly, because Jesus charged the apostles to start his church. And thirdly, because Jesus laid out for the apostles what they would teach. So Jesus chose them, commissioned them and directed them. He told them, for instance, you, didn't you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Now, of course, they did choose Jesus, but he's saying, look, guys, I chose you first and that's why, in turn, you have chosen me. What did he choose them for? He chose them to start the church. He said on another occasion, go and bear fruit 
that will last. What sort of fruit was he talking about? Make disciples of all nations. That's the fruitfulness that he wanted from them. So he said, I will make you fishers of men. And then Jesus laid down the syllabus that the apostles had to train new members to believe and live by, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, was Jesus' explanation and his last instruction before leaving this world to his followers. So Jesus chose his apostles, Jesus commissioned his apostles to start the church and Jesus directed his apostles what they had to teach. So Jesus' church is apostolic. No wonder we call it one holy Catholic apostolic. Now, getting back to Corinth in the year 50-something AD, alarmingly there was a section of the church in Corinth that had taken such a dislike to St Paul and to his teaching and especially to his discipline that they were in open rebellion. Happy church, this one. Ignoring his instructions, rubbishing his reputation and trying to get the church to behave and be what they wanted. Now, St Paul had started this church and now they wanted to elbow him out. Now, in our world, that's not totally unreasonable. Here and there we come across examples where somebody starts a company or a club or a political party and they grow it to a quite significant size only for the workers or the members down the track to want some changes, not able to get them and so elbow the founder out. Uh, I've got a couple of shares in a company called M3 and a couple of years ago uh, it, it was doing extremely well and uh, it merged with another company called Vocus also in the telephone area and uh, which was also doing very well and uh, but very soon the two leaders of these two companies obviously didn't get on with one another it was a great brawl on the board and uh, the founder of, uh, of Vocus was elbowed out went off to do something else a year later, the, uh, the man that was driving uh, M2, he was moved out as well. Now, this is what happens in the commercial world. It happens in the sporting world. It happens in the political world. Does it ever? And uh, we, we think, well, that's the way things go. In order to keep things at the highest standard, to, to achieve the really the, the, the best, sometimes you've got to change. But the church is not like that at all because the foundation that must not be altered has been laid. The church is apostolic, so it cannot boot out the apostles and it cannot boot out their purpose and it cannot boot out their teaching and still be Jesus' church. It's become something else. Therefore, since that was the situation very much so, on the cards here at Corinth, Paul goes into bat for himself and he says, if you've got it open in front of you, in verse 1, Am I not an apostle, in brackets, and none of you guys are? Have I not seen our Lord since his resurrection? None of them had. And then the clincher, from his point of view, are you, Corinthians, not my work in the Lord? Your existence as a church is evidence of my apostleship because there was none of it before I came here and now there's a church Stroppy, disorganised, difficult, but there's a church and I started it. Are you not my work in the Lord? Are you not the proof that God has called me to do this job? 
Now, of course, St Paul was not one of Jesus' first 12 disciples. <clears throat> As you heard the, the list read out, he wasn't in it. He was a later add-on. At his conversion, <clears throat> which roughly think of a, a decade perhaps after, uh, after Jesus had uh, risen and ascended, but anyhow, at his conversion, when the risen Christ encountered him and he believed in Jesus for the first time, he also learned then that he had been chosen by God to bring Jesus' name before Gentiles and kings. So almost in one hit, he was converted, he was called to be an apostle and also given the job of the apostle. And then during the following three years, Paul soaked up the teaching of Jesus, he says, in the same sort of way. We know no other details. He said on another occasion, I did not receive my gospel from a human source, but through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And, of course, the question might pop up, well, was he just imagining these things? Was he having himself on, perhaps, with all his sincerity? Well, the only test we've got is that on the one occasion that we know of where his, this claim that he'd been taught by God and was teaching the message that he'd been given from above, the only time a serious dispute arose over his teaching, he was supported by the Jerusalem church leaders, St Luke tells us, unanimously. In other words, they say he taught what they taught, which was what Jesus had given them. So he was made an apostle by Christ, he was commissioned as an apostle by Christ and he was taught the apostolic message by Christ. But still, numbers of Corinthian Christians were against him. No wonder he opposes them so vigorously. It's not just his nose is being put out of joint, the future, the health, the strength, the truth of the church is being challenged. The fact, however, just on a side that this letter was preserved so that we can read it today might indicate to us that its message was accepted. If the letter was not accepted, it probably would have been torn up and thrown away. It may be then that his authority was upheld. The church in Corinth did stay apostolic with the leader and the mission and the message that Jesus had delivered at the start. Well, it's a nice thought, may be true, but we do not actually know. The terrible danger is always that when the church swings away from the apostolic message, what replaces it will be the invention of mere men, influenced, maybe even seduced, by the thoughts of their own selfishness or their own culture. The apostles, through their writings, are the only link that we have with what Jesus taught. What do we know about Jesus' way that the apostles did not teach us? Nothing. Absolutely nothing at all. He only has the words of eternal life and the words of his appointed apostles are our only information about his ways, his words and his wishes. Now, sadly, there's a lot about the Christian church today around the world that sounds very much like the unhappy, let's do our own thing, we know better than Paul, rearranges that he was up against in Corinth. It is so distressing that since the year 2000, our own Anglican church has split in Canada and in the United States. It looks like it's happening at this moment in New Zealand and a tiny group is even split in England. And who knows what the future is in Australia? And all for the same reason. 
because there are people of significance and leadership in places in our church that feel they know better than the apostles what Jesus thought and wants. And so there are people who feel that their church is changing some of the important things that the apostles taught and the situation has not been able to be resolved and so they've split. Now... We hear news like that and uh, we frown, we shake our heads, we're bewildered and as well as disappointed. But before we go throwing stones at others, we uh, would be wise to remember how easy it is for us also to do the very same thing, just on an individual basis. If I am to be apostolic, then I will fight to prevent the world squeezing me into its own mould as I try to live by what the apostles taught me that Jesus taught. Jesus said some of these things, and these things do not go down well, and they are difficult. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. doesn't get much harder than that. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And the one that trips all of us up from time to time, I think, do not judge. Anyone who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it commits sin. So this is the culture of Jesus. This is what Jesus taught the apostles and they've passed on to us. But this is not popular or comfortable in our society. Our society is rusted on to the opposite. It's rusted on to making as much money as possible and to giving away only as much as I need so that I stop feeling guilty. Our culture is obsessed with being totally free with sex no matter how much that freedom makes me a slave to lust. And the Royal Commissions in the last year or two into banking and into child abuse cover-ups have shown us that despite our assumed expectations of honesty and the care for children, we have found that it is easy to rip others off and to put reputation ahead of duty. So our society is often diametrically opposed to Jesus' words. And we need to continually soak ourselves in the teaching of the apostles found in the New Testament so that we do not get sucked in. And this battle never ends. Well, those who are baptised and confirmed this morning are now bound into the church with all the others of us who are apostolic and therefore together we feed on the words that the apostles wrote. Paul's next point about being an apostle is uh, quite different, but it was relevant there in Corinth. In verse 11, those called to be ministers sowing spiritual seed should be able to reap material benefits. That is, our full-time leaders in the apostolic church should be able to refrain from working for a living, the apostolic church will see to it that they have enough food and for food and drink, enough to support a wife and family. Paul reminds them in verse 14, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And he goes on with that fairly simple point for a couple of paragraphs, as you can see. 
Now, Paul's opponents had obviously made it abundantly clear that they were dead against covering his accommodation and travel costs when he lobbed into town. Now, this was a deliberate put-down because though Paul's two known visits to Corinth had lasted for quite a while, St Luke calls one of them a considerable time and the other one he mentions lasted for three months. Despite that period of time that Paul had spent in Corinth, starting the church and then coming back and visiting it, he had never asked for a penny. And so he reminds them, <coughs> he reminds them I've made no use of any of these rights. <coughs> Well, Malcolm Turnbull may not have accepted any pay when he was our Prime Minister, but we must expect to pay our politicians. Paul may not have asked for any material support in fractious Corinth, but apostolic churches must expect to pay their ministers. So part of our membership in an apostolic church, in Jesus' church, is the lifelong privilege of contributing a sum which we will pray about and plan and then do generously and joyfully <clears throat> in the light of our situation. That's the second thing about living as an apostolic church. The third thing that St Paul wants to talk about, an aspect of being apostolic, is an aspect that I think can be, can be very tricky to get right. Dreadfully difficult to do, but really superb when it works and not least because it was so, it is so much like Jesus at times planting a branch of Jesus church and training its members to grow into Jesus likeness will go better often much better if the apostle overlooks some of his own rights now Paul in Corinth deliberately passed up his right to be supported the followers of Jesus will turn the other cheek rather than take uh, his right to give as good as he gets. And Paul had already told the Corinthian church back a couple of chapters ago that the follower of Jesus must try to uh, the, the follower of Jesus must try to have a difficult issue with another church member sorted out quietly within the church rather than charging off to court in an adversarial action which could so easily split the church as people inevitably take sides. So the apostolic goal <clears throat> is to turn all nations into disciples who know and obey all that Jesus has taught us. So, so often this cause will be advanced only when we ignore some right of ours and act like servants like Jesus. Jesus, who we read, though he was God, emptied himself, being born in human likeness and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus laid aside his right to become our, in order to become our saviour. And we will be willing to lay aside our rights in order to build friendships, to harmonise the church, to support mission, to offer real help to be apostolic. And my daughter's godmother was a university lecturer uh, in Australia in geology with a very good doctorate, a single woman, and every chance, uh, looking a decade or two or three ahead, 
have a lifetime uh, with very good salary in the university system in Australia, maybe becoming a professor. But God had called her to be a missionary, so she taught geology in Indonesian universities for the next 20 years. But when she returned to Australia in her 50s, she'd been out of the real action for so long that she had no hope of being re-employed in any Australian university. The world had moved on and she'd been left behind. And she was not surprised this was what she knew would happen. She had put aside her rights in order, like Jesus, to grow his church. Our life, there may well be other situations where we need to put aside our rights, like Paul, like that woman, in order that Jesus' kingdom can grow. So every church, every Christian is part of the apostolic church. So we are married to the words of the apostles in the New Testament, the words through which Jesus speaks to us. Every Christian is part of the apostolic church, so we will gladly and generously support our spiritual leaders. And every Christian is part of the apostolic church with its task to convert all nations, and so we'll always put advancing Jesus' kingdom ahead of our rights. So do embrace being part of Jesus' apostolic church and embrace it with relish. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.